Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. that did make it. I'm Hillary B. Bisniak's listeners. It is my extreme, just indescribable pleasure today to welcome an author who honestly needs no introduction, but I will say Chuck Tingle is the world's greatest author. Chuck, welcome to the podcast. Wow. Oh, that you cut right to the chase. I like that. <laughs> That's probably the best interview uh, introduction I've gotten in a long while. So I appreciate it, and thank you for having me. I'm very, I'm very excited about this. Absolutely, uh, I've I've been for like the last hour and a half. I've just been in like text chats with all of my friends, being like, I am freaking out because I am talking to one of my absolute heroes. Oh in wow! An hour and like. I don't know that I'm going to be able to keep my chill, so here we are. Oh, that's, no, no, really, really, it's very chill so far. What kind of um, what kind of advice did they give? Uh, well, my I think my wife said it best, which is, I'm very good at talking to people about their interests and about their stories, and I've been doing this for five years, so I can do this. That's oh yes, that's perfect. Yeah, of course. Um, I, yeah, dang, it, it is so, um, well, there's so much to discuss, and there's so much in this, um, I mean, we kind of, in the pre, in the pre-show chat, we're talking a little bit about some autism spectrum things, and I find with my, my place on the spectrum, I know, um, a lot of it, uh, there can be a kind of social anxiety around it, and I guess I get mm-hmm. a little bit, but actually, I am very adept at, uh, uh, social interactions because um kind of um game theory them in head i think i feel like i see all these angles and mm-hmm. um and part of what makes me good at it is either one years of a practice of not being great at it and then kind For of sure. streamlining it like i'm a dang machine learning uh computer or something like that and then uh uh what i have, have found is that um I'm very good at uh, things like interviews or chatting to buds because I have um, a genuine interest in um, others, and yeah. I think I think that um, from you, I can already tell just from talking. Uh, maybe we are, are similar in that way of that. Uh, you know, buckaroos. Uh, if you ask questions, uh, buckaroos are going to want to talk. It's 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 actually. I think it's harder for me uh, to talk mm-hmm. about myself. I, I think you have the dang easy job of. Uh, <laughs> asking the questions i wish i could just every conversation i just want to know about the other person i want to be the one asking all the questions absolutely yeah no and it is uh like i've i've found i didn't know that i was autistic when i started this podcast but i found oh yes that uh this podcast is a really great way of getting to know people for me because i just get to like I have a script. I have, oh, you know, yes. I get to ask these questions and it's on the other person. That's 
perfect. Yeah, I totally understand that. You just, it is, um, you know what to expect. It is mm -hmm. laid out. You say, here is each section. Uh, so that, yeah, that is wonderful. Um, yeah, I think that, um, gosh, it's so nice to think, um, just, uh, as time goes by that, um, buckaroos, I think are, uh, becoming more, uh, in touch with maybe some of these neurodivergent ways. Um, mm -hmm. when I, when I was a young buckaroo, uh, uh there was, um, very few, uh who would uh talk about uh being on on the spectrum uh, and so there just wasn't as much um identifying in that way because uh buckaroos didn't know they didn't there wasn't a, a way to kind of uh put that together and um I, gosh, sure. I find it so moving to just see uh more and more uh buckaroos kind of uh understanding themselves in this way and finding finding a place oh man mm -hmm. it, is, it just it is so moving and I, I i i don't know it's it's just great so well and, and thank you for for talking about that and being a part of that and everyone who uh can be open about that and feels comfortable discussing it like like you have mm -hmm. uh and i guess to pat myself on the back back <laughs> like i am with the with cancer yeah please do i i think that uh that it just is creating um an atmosphere as we move into the future uh, that others can feel comfortable uh, about their way and, and being open and not to repressing any of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truly, truly, this proves love in a uh, just like a really fantastic way. Yes, yes. The more we can be open and honest and the more we can show people like, yeah, we're I'm trans, I'm queer, I'm autistic, and I'm also just like a regular ass person just like everybody else yes absolutely there is so much um we uh growing up had all these stories um and there was so much um tragedy in the stories of these communities and to be fair uh at that time uh you know things were, were difficult so it makes sense but um i just really like that um we are honoring these tragic stories and saying these are important there is a place but also we're saying you know there's also stories of joy and there's also stories of kind of neither of just um hey i just got a normal thing life i'm trotting along uh, nothing too bad nothing too good uh, this is just my way and mm -hmm. all the way in all the way in between and and i think um that is so important um instead of just painting these groups as being a uh, just completely uh, overpowered by tragedy all the time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're we're obviously here to talk about the ways that we can prove love, and one of them is with your brand new book, Camp Damascus, which, like, if I had to pick out a thesis for this book, it would be that love is real and love is powerful, and also there's scary stuff in the world and we can get through despite that. Yes. Uh, and I'm wondering if, if I can just read uh, read a, a section out of the first chapter of this book for us. Yes, oh, oh, of course. It is, I'm, I, I am, um, oh my gosh, I'm nervous about this. I will say when I get the audio book, uh, mm -hmm. I will probably, um, I bet I won't listen to it. So I'm going to hang on like I'm on a roller coaster. <laughs> And uh, listen along, and You've got uh, we're, we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. 
So this is from Camp Damascus, Chapter 1, Leap of Faith. You've got no shadow, Martina informs me, gazing down at my feet and then shifting her eyes back up to mine. I check, and sure enough, my friend is largely correct. Thanks to the afternoon sun hanging directly overhead, it appears my shadow has mostly disappeared. It's a subtle observation, a phenomenon you'd never really notice unless you were looking for it. And yet Martina has pointed it out with an excited grin. Of course, closer examination would reveal that my shadow, while small, is still there. Hawaii is the only state where your shadows do completely disappear, and this rare event only happens twice a year. It's called Lahaina Noon. I don't say this, though. I think to ask why Martina is so excited about her flawed discovery, one that immediately falls apart after the slightest direct inspection, but I quickly realize I don't have to. I, too, notice the little things Martina does, logging every tiny quirk of the world regardless of whether anyone else finds it worthy of comment. There are so many beautiful pieces in God's grand puzzle, and you can miss them if you're not careful. Yeah, I guess you're right, I offer. Like Peter Pan, Martina continues, the smile curling wider across her overwhelmingly freckled face. With anyone else, this unhinged friendliness might signal a touch of sarcasm lurking somewhere behind their large green eyes, but I know better. At least I hope I do. I nod along, smiling happily, despite suddenly finding myself in the pop culture deep end with little understanding of what she's talking about. I've never read the book, nor seen any films related to this antique story with questionable motives. There's enchantment involved, so I know enough to stay far, far away. For a brief moment, I consider telling Martina that she shouldn't read that stuff, that the only magic she needs is the love of Christ. But I hesitate. I've had these conversations before, and even in a town as God-fearing as Neverton, there are only so many who want to hear it. Most Christian folks are friendly enough, but the second you start rubbing their faces in these little indiscretions, they bristle. The last thing I want is to make Martina bristle. Did you have to read that freshman year, she asks, clearly noting the pained expression on my face I'm so desperately struggling to avoid. I shake my head. No, I reply flatly, rejecting explanation. The truth is, I do remember Peter Pan being assigned an English class, and I remember the reports that accompanied this classic secular tale from James Matthew Barry. I could easily tell you where the author was born, Scotland, how he died, pneumonia, or even let you in on the fact that he killed off an equally profane and godless character, Sherlock Holmes, in a non-canonical short story well before Sir Arthur Conan Doyle ever had the chance. These facts about the author create a window into his work, not a door. It's a window I've never crawled through. Intentionally. Weren't you in my class? Martina continues. I thought everyone read it. Once again, I'm put to the test, reaching the familiar crossroads of how forthcoming I think I should be. I love Jesus. I really do. But Jesus would want me to be cool. He'd want Martina to think I'm cool. Kingdom of the Pine was founded on a bedrock of practicality, after all. Which brings me back to this conversation and the sudden realization I've been standing in silence for way too long. 
I need an answer that will appease both a fellow student and the good Lord above, struggling to walk the razor's edge between the truth of my deeply held convictions and the relaxed sheen of a perfectly normal girl. Not all kingdom kids are weird. I didn't think... I mean... I fumble, struggling to craft an excuse and coming up short as my mind tumbles and churns. My parents didn't want me reading it, I finally reply, submitting the truth and letting the chips fall where they may. Magic, you know? Martina's already enormous green eyes widen in shock. Wait, really? she blurts. Her expression is not what I expected, flooded by sudden excitement and genuine interest. I now realize she might be impressed by this moral objection, and my mind begins to race as I wonder if she's proud of me. Well, not prideful, but something like that. I've known Martina for a very long time, although we've only recently started talking in a meaningful way. Could she have similar convictions? Could this be the start of the deep, authentic friendship I've been hoping for? That's fucked up, Martina finally continues, immediately prompting me to pump the proverbial brakes on my enthusiasm. That's way fucked up, Rose. I'm sorry your parents are so crazy. I can't help nodding along, the muscles of my neck taking on a life of their own. Yeah, I reply, rolling my eyes. Way messed up. Parents, right? The second these words leave my lips, I feel the deep ache of regret, a guilty pang that shoots down my spine as a sinful reminder God's watchful eye has noticed. Martina smiles, though, and suddenly this regret is met with something else, a surge of joy that counteracts the holy venom like anavip through the bloodstream of some poor soul who crossed a Pentecostal pit viper. I've got to pull back on the snake handling. All right, see you at the bottom, Martina says. My friend promptly turns and breaks into a run, sprinting with her bare feet across the short, rocky runway. It's as though the frozen universe has started rolling on again, the rustle of the trees and the splash of water far, far below filling my ears. The other kids who've gathered around these cliffs watch in amazement, their hair wet and stringy as towels drape across them for a fleeting moment of dryness before the next brave leap. Everyone here is used to jumpers taking their time for a big show, standing at the edge of the cliff for a good while gazing down as though considering their surrender. Of course, once they've gotten to the rocky ledge, they rarely back down, and everyone watching knows this. It's all part of the performance, a temporary ringmaster gathering as many eyes as possible before rushing to the edge and hurling themselves over. They tumble down into the cool water below with a mighty splash, followed by excited cheers from their temporary but adoring fans. Martina doesn't need any of that. Fuck! She cries out as she springs from the rocks, her body rocketing forward while arms and legs continue pumping in the air. I can see the exact point that gravity catches hold of her body, gripping tight and then yanking downward in a sharp change of trajectory that would make Newton proud. I lose sight of Martina's long strawberry curls as she drops, but I'm too frightened to rush to the edge and witness her plummet. Seconds after disappearing from view, there's a loud splash, followed by a joyful eruption from the crowd. Their applause carries out through the forest around us, washing through the trees like audible water. Carefully, I creep to the edge and stare down into the swimming hole that lies below, the dark water still rippling from Martina's plunge. 
A few sunbathers lay out on the shore nearby in various states of undress, many of them less covered up than I'm comfortable with, and a handful of swimmers float on the outer rim of this dazzling natural pool. It's a hot day in Montana, so the falls are packed. I continue gazing, waiting for Martina to resurface as my heart rate needlessly quickens. She's done this jump hundreds of times, and it appears none of them have resulted in disaster so far. There's no logical reason for Martina to have any trouble this time around, but as I stare down at the reflective surface below, I can't help the tiny seed of fear that blossoms at the pit of my stomach. For some reason, I've found myself caring a lot about how things turn out for her. It feels, in a word, weird. A wave of relief pulses through my body as Martina breaks the surface, taking a big gulp of air and instinctively whipping her red hair from side to side. She begins swimming gracefully across the water, making her way to the shore. From up here, I can see her body move in a completely new light, propelling forward with majestic elegance. She looks like a frog as she kicks her legs, but that comparison sounds brash and awkward, while Martina is nothing of the sort. You gonna give it a shot? A voice abruptly questions from behind, breaking my focus and causing a startled breath to catch in my throat. I turn around to find my friend Isaiah, his shirtless body already deeply tanned in the afternoon sun. His hair is still wet from the last leap, and I have no doubt he'd love to make another running launch off this cliffside. However, Isaiah has taken a moment away from his own madcap antics to nurture my growth as a future daredevil. I was thinking about it, I admit. Isaiah cracks a smile. It's not as hard as it looks. I mean, we're only 30 feet up. You're not gonna die. People died while jumping here in 1977, 1980, and 2016, I inform him. So, it's possible. Oh. Isaiah replies, his enthusiasm abruptly deflating. He narrows his eyes as a confused expression crosses his face, suddenly faced with this unexpected kernel of self-doubt. The average speed of a dive is 15 feet per second, therefore a swimming hole between 10 and 15 feet deep could paralyze you in less than a second. I don't mention this. You're still not going to die, I assure him. The chances of fatal injury are phenomenally low, if you want to increase your survival odds, just make sure you jump feet first. Never dive. Isaiah nods along as I pull him back into mental alignment. Plus, God's watching over you, I continue. Isaiah smiles a toothy, all-American grin. My friend reaches out and places a hand on my shoulder in a gesture of reassurance, lingering there a little longer than I might have expected. Amen. Finally, I let out an awkward laugh and my friend removes his hand. Let's see it then, Isaiah says, nodding toward the cliff's edge. What you got, Rose? Isaiah backs away and motions for the other kids up here to clear a path. They're waiting and watching now, their eyes trained on me in anticipation of the leap to come. Nine out of ten accidents occur when people are playing near the water's edge, not when they're focused on jumping in. I pull off my long dress and toss it to the side, revealing the most decidedly modest black one-piece I could find online. Unlike Martina, however, I'm not yet comfortable enough to flip myself into oblivion without a good look below. I know I'll be fine, 
that most of the danger here is nothing but an illusion, but my brain understanding this is one thing, and my body appropriately reacting is another. My heart is slamming hard within my chest, thundering away as a sizzling hot tingle makes its way across my skin. This is your fight-or-flight response. Your sympathetic nervous system is releasing catecholamines and making you hyper-aware of your surroundings. The solution, of course, is grounding and prayer. I spend a moment observing the scene around me, taking in faces on every side of the watering hole. Across the way, on the opposite cliff, even more of my peers watch with excitement and anticipation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Some people come here to jump. Others just want to be part of something. As the school year comes to an end and we all prepare to leap from our own metaphorical cliffs into adulthood, it's easy to get restless. We're all pretending it's midsummer and we're finally free, despite the fact that tomorrow we'll be right back to the Monday grind. I get the distinct feeling I'm living in what will someday be a fond memory. With that, I command my foot to take its first step toward the edge. My body refuses to move. The Lord is my light and my salvation, I repeat. I take a deep breath and center myself once more, focused on compelling my body forward. Still nothing. I remain motionless, staring out at a sea of classmates on the opposite cliffside while they gaze back at this curious standoff between mind and body. It's not so bad once you start running, Isaiah says from behind. Once you reach the edge, the hard part is over. His words are kind, and I appreciate this vote of confidence, but in a practical sense it does absolutely nothing. I'm displaying textbook freezing behavior, and Isaiah has no more control over my blastolateral amygdala than I do. Suddenly, another familiar voice chimes in, hooting like a baseball coach from the dugout. Let's go, Rose! I glance over to find Martina has already climbed back up, soaking wet with a towel wrapped tightly around her body. Our eyes meet, and she smiles warmly, immediately melting away the anxiety and fear that had paralyzed me with its icy grip. She winks. I grin back, basking in this feeling for a moment, then return my focus to the cliff. Feeling renewed, I prepare a third attempt to compel myself forward, but before I get the chance, my gaze falls onto something strange across the ravine. The other side of the cliffs is fairly close, some forty feet across, with a small waterfall carving its way down the middle in a never-ending cascade. Fellow classmates in their colorful swimwear line the opposite edge, but tucked back into the forest is another figure that watches with stoic intensity. I squint a bit, struggling to parse whether my eyes are playing tricks on me through the shady wood. A frighteningly pale woman is standing in the forest, her hair long and black as it hangs limply over her face and around her bony shoulders. It appears she's staring directly at me, but it's difficult to tell because her eyes lack irises or pupils. They're solid, white globes. The woman is smiling, her expression frozen and her teeth unusually stained with dark brown and black smears. The teeth themselves are crooked and long, as though her gums have receded to provide an unnatural length. Yet despite all of this, the strangest thing about the woman's appearance is what she's wearing. 
She sports a deep red polo shirt with a stark white name tag pinned to the chest. It's the kind of top you'd expect to see worn by someone arriving to fix your wireless internet or telling you which aisle to check at a department store. She also wears a thick metal band around her neck, pulled tight like a collar, and khaki pants. And that's, I think, where we should end. Right that's, at that's the spooky, right. spooky bit. I, I gotta see. First, let me see. heard this before, but you are a very good reader for reading aloud. Your Thank voice you, your voice is great for that. I, I, that was, um, I, I thought that was going to be a roller coaster for me, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. And, and gosh, you're, you just did such a dang good job. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yes. I, I uh, had not practiced beforehand and I just, I don't know. My, my brain lets me do that sometimes. And other times I just uh, am standing up there white knuckling the desk and just hoping it, nobody knows was, how scared i am yes standing on the edge of the uh, of the cliff at the old swimming hole uh, Absolutely. with the uh, with the freeze response mm -hmm. yes i i understand this um, no that was that was great um also um having um you know turned in this book i i, I you know you work so you work so hard on um on a novel and mm -hmm. you know every dang line after editing it and reviewing it so many times um it was kind of a treat to uh, go back um i do have this fear of oh there's gonna be something wrong or oh something yep. and um listening back i thought oh hey hey good job chuck uh, you you wrote a pretty good book okay mm -hmm. wrote um, a dang so good book there chuck that was yeah that was great i also um I also, uh, in the very beginning, I have this um, part of my novel writing technique. I do a lot of planning. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I would say that um, my process, the planning section um, in my head is probably the longest. And that's about two months. Of, mm -hmm. I don't write anything down, but I work out um, every story beat in my head. Um, and, and, um, from beginning to end, uh, there will be a point where these ideas come in and out mm -hmm. or where eventually I can just, um, tell myself the story, uh, without, um, writing it down or thing. And then after those two months, once it's all there, I'll write it down into the story beats and then start to write. And the actual writing part is actually much, uh, much shorter than that. Oh, um, wow. Yes, um, it's pretty much all in my head until, uh, until it's done and then it just then flies out. Um, but one of the um, techniques that I um, uh, use, I don't, dang it, I don't know if this is too much of a, I don't want, I'm going to say uh, mild, mild spoiler for any horror novel that I write. Mm -hmm. I, am, I am big into a first image and last image. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, as a, a metaphorical uh, version of change. And uh, uh, I do that um, in Straight, my novella before this. I, I do that in, in, in Camp Damascus. I do that in Barrier Gaze, which is the next book of my Nightfire contract. Um, and um, it was very uh, interesting hearing, um, you know, the, this opening chapter of the, the book, um, if you are track the metaphors and themes 
um, wow, it is a it is a very uh, it is a mirror image uh, actually yeah. in a lot of the ideas, which um, it, it is nice to hear that. Anyway, that was my rambling reaction, but that was very enjoyable actually. Oh, thank you. I I have to say that when I was reading this and getting towards the end of the book, I kept on finding myself just like yelling out, it's rhyming! Like, yeah. the way yes. that that was bookending, uh, there's a there's a great scene, without giving too much away, where we get this rhyme of the Peter Pan shadow thing later in the book. And I was just hollering about that. It was great. Yes, yes. That, oh, dang, very, very nice. I like them. Dang, I have never um, thought of that terminology of rhyming. That's mm -hmm. a great one. That is a great one. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I picked that up from uh, this podcast called A More Civilized Age, where they talk about uh, all the Star Wars shows. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Very neat. Yeah. Uh, so because this is Tales from the Trunk, uh, I'm wondering if there are any parts that when you were uh, spending this two months outlining this book in your head, are there any parts that you thought of early on that just for whatever reason couldn't make it in to the book that you're really you know sad couldn't make it in for whatever reason yeah well there's um there's i think two interesting things about that in in brainstorming stage i would say that i enjoy these characters so much and i enjoy the story and i enjoy the catharsis of the story um mm -hmm. and the way that it ends i would say the last the last moments of the story um if you understand the beginning of the story it actually has to end when it does mm -hmm. uh i don't want to give too much away but um but yes if you go and read the beginning and the end you think oh that's the oh i understand that has to be where it ends uh, to, to kind of complete this circle. But that being said, when I was brainstorming it, part of me thought, wow, that's a great ending. But also, um, dang, I wish I could hang out with these characters a little more. I think if mm -hmm. I didn't have, if I didn't have so much um, theme to that and a sort of um, an artistic loop going on, um, I probably would have wanted to extend it a tiny bit more um, but I also, it was a, um, it was a give and take. And for mm -hmm. me, um, the thematic closing of the loop was more important than um, kind of giving a, a, just a little more of sitting with those characters. But also um, the way that I write is very, um, I like it to be very streamlined, mm -hmm. cut, cut off anything unnecessary. Um, in that way, I think that I write similar to the way you would maybe write a, uh, a screenplay actually um mm -hmm. and i try to try to pace them like films because most of my influences are are film rather than um writing so right. um so I, I just um i wanted to keep the pace up too so that was another reason why i said okay we can we can uh, end it where it does and i think the other interesting thing mm -hmm. well I, I i i don't know do you have any I don't want to just keep rambling. No, no, no. Uh, I want you to keep rambling. Okay, I'm a That's rambling. what this show is for. Yes. Um, well, uh, the, the other thing is um, less about the planning stages and more about um, uh, 
things that were cut or, or different ways. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I think my favorite big thing about working with um, Nightfire and my editor there, uh, Kelly, uh, Kelly is being amazing. Um, uh, I, I think that my work and my art is very appreciated and I got um, zero requests to cut anything out of the book. When I handed the oh, manuscript, dang. they said, this is, uh, we love this. It's amazing. Um, if you work with us, we are not going to ask you to cut anything. It is <laughs> perfect as it is. Um, what they did do is they talked about, um, there were one or two scenes that they said, this might be better to add. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I thought about it and I thought, oh, Yes, you are correct. And I, I guess I guess that's a very important thing if you're working with an editor or a, a publishing company, um, that they're giving you advice that you can take and look and think, oh wow, you're you're right. Because I'm so specific with my art. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to it's very hard for me to to be honest, this is a critique of myself. It's very hard for me to hear a critique and think, ah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, you got point. I try to be open, but it, I'm very close for to sure, my art. Yeah. And when I heard the notes from uh, Kelly, I sat with them and thought, oh yeah, that is absolutely true. Um, and then it was my decision, instead of um, adding, uh, there was one thing that I added, and mm. there was one one thing that I, um, I was asked to add, and instead of adding, I swapped it out. Oh, I took yeah, the yeah. thing that was there, I added what they wanted, and on my own choice, I thought, well, now that we added this, we don't need that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. Um, yes. Um, I can I mean I can talk about that. See that that's kind of the point of the show to talk about these scenes, right? Yeah. I mean I can say what it was. Um there is a point uh where I kind of wanted to talk about um Kingdom of the Pine and when I set up this uh church, uh there's two things that I wanted to show with with, with the uh the sort of uh, sect of Christianity in, in this. Number one is that I wanted them to be pretty dang, um, again, mild spoilers. I mm -hmm. wanted them to be belief-wise pretty dang normal as a sort of reveal that um, you kind of build up, oh, this is going to be some cult with all these strange beliefs and mm -hmm. all these things. And I think it's so much more effective um, if the big reveal is, um, actually, they just are kind of believing the same thing that, that most Christians believe, actually. Um, yeah. it, I, I actually, I, I, something that has always really stuck with me was um, in, uh, in Get Out by Jordan mm -hmm. Peele, um, making the family um, liberals uh, instead of these very hard right conservatives yeah um, is is the key to that movie it creates so much nuance and balance and the best part is when the when the dad's saying oh i would have voted for obama for for a third term um mm -hmm. and that that whole scene that's the genius of that movie to me so i i kind of have always um i think when it comes to the stories especially horror when you're you're doing a sort of social horror deconstruction um, there's so much to mine in a reveal kind of being actually um, this church is belief wise pretty dang normal or pretty similar to what people actually believe. Mm -hmm. um, then the second quality that I gave them is I thought, well, I do want it to still be kind of 
interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Not not evil and far out and, oh, they're worshipping these strange things, but, okay, what's going to give them flavor? And so I thought, well, why don't we do um, a set that has found um, holiness uh, in capitalism? And mm-hmm. essentially what, what they believe is, is that, um, you know, that the way into uh, the hearts and minds of, of those who need to be saved is um, in actually uh, embracing treating the church like a business. And so that is kind of in their tenets. Um, and that is why they're called Kingdom of the Pine, actually. It's not uh, explicitly said, uh, I don't think. But really, um, what I wanted to say was that um, uh, the pine uh, or wood is uh, the symbol of the creation of a product. So mm-hmm. Kingdom of the Pine is saying... Um, we are the kingdom of the wooden cross as a product, um, as pine, as material that we are using to gather followers. And yeah. we are going to reject the idea that there's anything wrong with that. And so they are sort of a capitalistic sect. Um, and so that was kind of my, my idea. And to show that, um, originally I had a sort of um, multi-level marketing meeting uh, mm-hmm. With a big with a big group at uh, one of the characters' houses, where Rose gets kind of um, exposed a little bit, uh, and um, it was pretty good. It was a good scene, but um, my editor thought of um, an idea of well, it, it kind of it feels weird that these high schoolers, even when they are technically a bit older, are already getting into this. I thought, yeah, well, maybe one of them will. So I I took what happened at someone's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a big group to make it a more intimate one-on-one meeting at a coffee shop. Yeah, and that, that actually was a allowed... great, great oh, thank you. I, and funny enough, that's one of my favorite um, scenes because I think two things happened there. One is I get, got to, when you make it one-on-one, I got to add a little bit of a scare and bring in another uh, demon that mm-hmm. wasn't originally mentioned. And it gave me an opportunity to kind of talk about um, the diverse sort of body types or ages uh, or presentations of of the demons. So I did a a different kind of one in that scene. And then um, the other thing it allowed me to do is kind of um, humanize um, the members of the church, even the ones that kind of, um, I won't say, I guess are villains, but under the power. So that Mm -hmm. character is is not necessarily good, good, uh, but she's just afraid. And yeah. so I kind of got to show that it's more um, about the fear uh, of these people who are really um, under the thumb. Uh, and so that was the scene that was added and swapped out. And I think the, the, the what was added is actually much more effective. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it, we've, we've touched on a, a number of great things without giving too much away. Do you have any... Uh, parts that you're just super jazzed for readers to get to when they get this book in their hands? Oh, yes. Uh, I definitely am. I think that um, that's very hard to not get into um, spoiler <laughs> territory. There's, there's, I think, two things. Number one, I think that um, when I was in the idea phase, mm-hmm. the ending, the ending, and specifically the soundtrack, to the ending, I'm a big oh, yeah. time. Uh, I'm a big time uh, metal buckaroo. 
Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought, what would be the worst nightmare <laughs> of, of of these people in this this church? What would the the the, the surroundings be? What would the uh, uh, would there be flames? Uh, would there be ice? I don't want to give anything away, you know, but uh, just mm-hmm. like what what would it, the visceral worst nightmare be and what would the soundtrack be? And I just thought, oh, dang, it's got to be dang grindcore. And so mm-hmm. I just, something about that. Um, and it seemed, I say this as a joke because, you know, there are some pretty serious marginalized groups involved in this, but I also like to say this one's for the metalheads too. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there's a moment of that that I think is, so cathartic and just wonderful that I, I hope gets a lot of cheers. And that was one of the when I was planning it, that moment was one of the first things that things that came to me with this idea. Oh, I had nice. the, yes, I had the idea, and then I thought I basically thought of the idea, thought of the ending, and then kind of thought, well, how are we going to get from here here to there? For um, sure. And then the other thing that I'm very interested in that I can't really talk about yet is that um, this book actually kind of works on multiple reads because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of symbolism. There's mm-hmm. um, And so that's something that um, I don't want to get too deep in the discussions because I, I, it's, I feel like it's unfair to buckaroos who who don't have early copies mm-hmm. and, and, and I just want them to have a, a, a pass at it without, um, without uh, diving in. But eventually I'm really looking forward to talking about um, uh, not just the uh, literal layer, but the, um, the biblical layer of what the different names and things mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the fairy tale layer, I will say, um, since we already mentioned it, it is still a minor spoiler, uh, but I will say, well, maybe not even a spoiler. There is much more, if you know what to look for, regarding um, a certain theme of a certain story that mm-hmm. I would say you could go through with a checklist. And once you start to notice them, um, th- there are things in this book like um, where certain characters, um, what, which hand they hold their guns with. Um, what color certain people's chairs are? Um, mm-hmm. Why why, uh, why uh, Willow um, takes photos in a steady rhythm uh, of her uh, camera? That uh, if you start to unravel one string, I think there could be a discussion of this in a few months once it's out, where some buckaroos will start to connect these dots and think, "Wow." I have not, there is just so much symbolism in this. I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an incredible book and I've only just started unpacking it in my mind in the last couple of days. Yes. Yeah. Well, dang, thank you. That's so kind. I appreciate it. I, I just, um, I'm just thankful to have, uh, this kind of opportunity. Uh, there are so many writers and readers who will write something and put this much care into the themes and, mm-hmm. and symbols. Um, and uh, it's great to do artistically. It's very fulfilling. But also, um, I think a lot of that just, uh, these are suitcases, these are trunks, as it were, that mm-hmm. are left clo- closed simply because the audience isn't large enough. 
So yeah. I'm just honored that I think that there will eventually be this discussion, which I think is just so, uh, I'm just so thankful. I'm great. I have so much gratitude for that. Yeah. Well, I, I know that uh, one of the discords I'm in is absolutely foaming in the mouth waiting to read this book. So oh, there wow. will be a lot of discussion there. That's great. I, you know, I tried to understand um, way of discord, but I, I can't, I just don't even really, uh, it's very hard to find, to find them, right? Mm -hmm. Is there, there's not even a dang central, there's not like a database where you can just search. Is there, I guess there kind of is, but I tried that once. I didn't understand. I don't know. I didn't understand. Do you enjoy discord? I enjoy the servers that I'm in. I enjoy a lot, but they're very specific. Like okay. a couple of them are just, these are a few buds chatting on, yeah, okay. you know, this specific topic or this general topic. And the other ones that I'm in that I really like are focused around a specific fandom. So like uh, the podcast friends at the table, or there's one that I'm in that's just trans horror writers Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I think okay that that is that um, solidifies my understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, it is it is um, I think it works best maybe as a smaller a smaller uh, unit, a smaller mm -hmm. community. I'm used to things like ways of doing Twitter or Tumblr, where yeah, it's, it's just uh, it goes out to everyone. Now, I think that's maybe why I haven't fully understood way of Discord yet, but um, that that's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of quick questions before we get going. Yes. One, uh, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about that you have coming out in the near future? Oh, dang. Um, well, I'm, I would just say right now, Camp Damascus, um, you know, I have so many books. I've written probably 300 plus tinglers. And yep. I would just want to say that um, if you're listening to this and you appreciate uh my way um and checked out a couple of books if you're going to actually sit down and take the time to order something or support one thing i've done if you've been listening to my words a long time um camp damascus is the one um not necessarily because of how much um i love the art which i do mm -hmm. uh, and, and and i just love the book um but because this is actually an opportunity for uh, me as a sort of um, a bit of an outsider, a bit uh, self-published, and uh, certainly my art has a very unique way. Mm -hmm. There's an opportunity here to um, really kick open the door of the mainstream and bring something to a lot of buckaroos that I think doesn't often have the chance to do that. Absolutely. And, uh, so I would just say, I know that um, it can be a lot even to just think, oh, you think, oh, I get that. And then you just don't think of it. I would say um, if you ever really want to do something that's going to make a large difference in bringing unusual uh, queer and autistic uh, art uh, to a, a pretty big place, um, pre-orders of Camp Damascus or just orders um, could maybe set this up to has a big effect, which yeah. I think is very exciting. And I, I have a, a, a mixed uh, uh, feelings about this because part of me thinks, well, I don't just want to be out there saying, then buy my book, you know, mm -hmm. and that does make me kind of uncomfortable. But at the same time, 
I'm just trying to recognize that, um, you know, we only trot through this timeline once. And um, this is just, it's kind of rare that you're set up and thinking, wow, this moment, if this thing happens, then it could really um, topple a lot of uh, dominoes in a yeah. big way. Every move we make creates new timelines, but um, sometimes we get an opportunity to make a real big move. So Absolutely. I would just say th this is that moment if you're interested in helping Chuck, probably. Yeah. So Chuck, you're, maybe you're not uh, comfortable saying buy my book everywhere, but I'm comfortable saying, listeners, true buckaroos, buy this book. That's Request right. Request this book yes. at your library. Make sure that your independent bookstores are stocking it. Let everybody who you know who likes spooky things know that this book is coming out and it is getting my five stars and oh, hopefully that's you. worth something yes oh thank you no that's that's very kind thank you very much absolutely uh finally well second finally uh is there anything that you would like our buckaroo listeners to know about that you've been super enjoying recently Oh my gosh, this is um, difficult. Uh, I, this was mentioned at the beginning. I thought, what am I going to talk about? Because, um, you know, I'm, I am always consuming art all mm -hmm. the dang time. And sometimes it's a, a sort of a, an artist that, you know, you give them a plug and that's a great thing because uh, they're a dang small timer and that always feels good. And then sometimes you're just in a zone where the things that you're enjoying are just. Uh, very mainstream mm -hmm. um, and and i'm just a, i'm in a dang mainstream moment so i don't have anything that's a uh, particularly uh you know uh needs my boost i will say uh uh the new um book by uh tj clean who is oh uh, yeah yeah the, yes i think uh in the lives of puppets i, I did a blurb for i read it early and it just mm -hmm. came out and that's not horror or, or any way like that, but um, it, it is uh, fantasy. And then I, I read a lot of um, early releases of books. And uh, that one, I just thought, wow. I mean, I just, it, it really blew me away. Uh, and um, if, if the crews want to support a, a, a queer writer um, writing fantasy in that way, um, that one is, is great. Um, and then in a mainstream way, dang, I'm just been watching Dang new season of Dang Barry and all all the shows that I watch. Oh yeah, and, you know. And so I, I don't know. I, I, I have a, I have my other things going, but I, I just don't think that they need my help. That's fair. Yes. Uh, of course, listeners, uh, links to all of these things, whether mainstream or outsider, will be in the show notes so that you can find yes. them later. Chuck, oh, you know what? Can I see it? I'm gonna. Oh, I, yeah. just, I just thought of this. There was this band I started a day listening to called um, Rat Boys. Um, oh, cool. And um, they uh, are just uh, so great. I think they're kind of big, but um, I'm just going to throw that out there because I was listening to them this morning uh, again on my dang, dang playlist and um, very cool, uh, just very cool stuff. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to say that nice. too. Put a link to Rat Boys, their new new album. Yeah, I will be uh, putting that on right after this for myself because I'm always looking for new music. It is. Uh, finally, although I, I think most people already know the answer to this, uh, where can our listeners find you elsewhere on the internet? 
Oh, wow. That's a good question because normally, you know, I, I, have, I have such a big social media presence. Mm-hmm. But dang, um, every dang day, Twitter becomes a, uh, just a cesspool. Uh, and I don't know how much longer I'll be trotting there, but um, mm-hmm. you can you can certainly check. Um, I got got one of those things, blue sky invites, so I have I have that, and, and maybe it'll switch over. And then um, and, uh, Instagram, Facebook, I'm on TikTok as real Chuck Tingle. I'm on Tumblr as uh, I think that one is Doctor Chuck Tingle. But I, I will say, of all the dang platforms, I get the most joy out of Tumblr. I, I, it mm-hmm. feels like a Feels like a blast from the past, but yeah, uh, Tumblr is great. Really wonderful. So, um, I think that's my favorite that I am on is probably Tumblr. Actually, at this point, so I'm I'm on everything. Just look up old Chuck Tingle. Excellent. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been just such a delight. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. And I know I kind of sung your praises at the top of the show, but um, I, it is just um, so important for Buckaroos to be out telling their their stories. And also, mm-hmm. um, you know, outside of that and all that stuff, you are creating a space um, just to talk about reading and, and, uh, and storytelling. And that is um, that in itself. I just hope you uh, can recognize how much joy that brings and how... Um, just cosmically important that is to create spaces where buckaroos can discuss story because that is that is what we do is then human beings is uh mm-hmm. you know the only thing uh, that really separates us in, in a lot of ways from the animals mm-hmm. is uh, that that we tell and create a story and that we uh can envision different new uh futures in this way uh, and use that to prove love. So you are doing something that is so important. So um, thank you for that. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Yes. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter, probably, at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBisniacs. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, love is real. Love is real.